When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Comes to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you all. Uh, the Monday after the weekend that was, and uh, we've got a busy first hour in particular talking about New Zealand versus Ireland. New Zealand versus Ireland at rugby. New Zealand versus Ireland at cricket. Lost the rugby. Damn near lost the cricket. Amazing, amazing results over the weekend. So we'll talk to Grant Nisbet about that uh, just after the sermon coming up. And then Jonathan Norman, talk sport cricket commentator on New Zealand against Ireland and that miraculous escape courtesy of Michael Bracewell. Uh, we'll give you the opportunity to vent your spleen, if you like, after 10 o'clock uh, when we'll put up for grabs a $50 chemist warehouse voucher, I would imagine. Uh, I know what you're going to talk about, so we'll just open up the lines and let you go. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Jamie Wall and Hamish Bidwell as well uh, this morning. Uh, they'll be on the panel. We'll talk about uh, the All Blacks, the Mario Black game this week uh, against uh, Ireland, of course. A couple of uh, interesting changes in there. Uh, international rugby, uh, the Northern Hemisphere absolutely dominating over the weekend. Uh, a little bit of golf to talk about. Stephen Elka coming up just short in uh, his quest for a second major this year. And Vossi's back. Andrew Vossi's back uh, at work, so uh, we'll be able to talk to him about the four games of NRL action uh, since last Thursday in this abbreviated round, of course, because of State or- of Origin 3. We'll talk to Vossi about that as well. And that will be just after 11 o'clock a Stump Smithy. Uh, where we've got uh, a prize up for grabs as well. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, is it an oxymoron to state that the officiating in rugby is now out of control? And was it only seven days ago I was lauding the officiating by Northern Hemisphere referees and how refreshingly good they were? Cue Jaco Paper, a South African, cue a disaster, and a confusing one at that. Are we to believe that a deliberate headbutt, as we saw with Darcy Swain 10 days ago for Australia against England, warrants the same punishment as a head clash by Angus Tuavala a week later? And for want of a better phrase, where is this also heading? What's it going to take to get it through to those making and enforcing the game's many, many rules that by being overzealous in their regard for the out-and-out safety of a game involving big men with high degrees of physicality, They are threatening the very game itself. Maybe a mass fan walkout. Maybe a player walk off or maybe the TV company's refusing to hand the masses of slow motion replays on a plate. And by the by, if the ref is able to stop the game in order to watch countless replays on the big screen, seeing the very same evidence as the TMO sees, why do we need a a TMO in the first place? Really, why do we need one? We can see in so many sports now, the more information, the more support you give an official, the longer the game takes and the less courage they will have to make a gut judgment call. In other words, to be an official. And how can the best player in the world at the moment be lost to a test match and his team 
without doing a damn thing wrong. The Artie Sevilla scenario at the weekend was at best baffling, more so bizarre. The game again robbed of some genuine quality. The All Blacks a decent shot at a fight back. You can bet on this. There will be so much whinging about the refs, the rules, Foster and Kane this week, that through it all, we will forget that the Irish created history at the weekend. So well played to them. Another Monday morning where we just have all the speculation and so many unanswered questions. Ireland will get it and they'll boot it into the grandstand. Connor Murray gives it off to Cabri. And a famous Irish victory, their first against the All Blacks in New Zealand, their fourth overall, and fully deserved. Well, there's no denying that. That was uh, Grant Nisbet with uh, his call on the final stages of that second test match, which uh, saw Ireland knock over New Zealand 23-12, and so doing, winning their first test match on New Zealand soil. Four out of seven, they've now won Ireland against us. The last three or four, we have lost against opposition. So things are not going in the right direction, I think it's fair to say. As we say, a very good morning to Grant Nisbet, who had that call and will call again on Saturday night in his beloved Wellington, Nisbo. Uh, good morning to you. Bit of a head-scratcher, that one, over the weekend for a number of reasons. Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Yeah, it was controversial, wasn't it? It really was. And uh, you mentioned the word bizarre, and it was bizarre, absolutely bizarre from start to finish. But I think we have to acknowledge Ireland were better on the night, mm. uh, regardless of all the sort of side stories that are attached to it. Why are they better, Nisbo? Were they, uh, I mean, another slow start, uh, Ian Foster bemoaning the fact that a side is having to play catch up from early on in the piece, but. Uh, this time around, uh, the slow start didn't stop. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the All Blacks probably um, had plenty of resolve in terms of let's start well, boys, and all the rest of it, but it didn't happen again, and they conceded a try inside five minutes. And uh, and then, of course, the fun started. The yellow card started, the red card started, and there was never really any flow in the All Black performance. Uh, understandable, I suppose, with blokes coming and going and people not knowing quite who was playing and who was not playing. Um, and it, and it, it never really recovered. I mean, we got that flukish try just before half-time, and Isla must have looked at the scoreboard at half-time and thought, what is going on here? 10-7. We're better than that, aren't we? But um, they continued to play well. We were pretty shambolic in the second half. And although we got a late try, it was never really going to affect uh, the situation. And uh, I think the All Blacks need to have a very close look at themselves. They do indeed. Uh, they made only one change. Ireland made only one change. Also through uh, injury, of course, to Sam Whitelock. Scott Barrett hops across to a locking situation. Dalton Popoliki comes in. So we're effectively playing three sevens in the match. Didn't seem to work. No, it didn't seem to work. And, and of course, we lost Artie Savier after I don't know how long it was. And uh, so he was gone. So then we only had a couple of loose forwards um, on the field. I think in the ideal world now, after you know reviewing Eden Park, in the ideal world now, of course, Scott Barrett plays at six. Sam Whitelock comes back. And I think you'll find he'll make a fairly miraculous recovery this week. And he'll be back. Uh, Barrett will play at uh, six. And they'll, they'll be looking at other changes too. I personally... 
would be starting Dane Coles. I think we need a bit of mongrel early on. And if ever anyone's got some mongrel, it's he. And I think he's fully fit and ready to go. He warmed up on Saturday, so I don't think there's any question mark over his fitness. I'd be playing him. And uh, then, of course, you've got to look at uh, maybe uh, the midfield. I think Will Jordan has to start. That's a given. Um, he's one of our very best players. Can't afford to have him sitting on the bench, so he has to start probably on the wing. And they'll have a look at midfield too, I think. Right, let's uh, also look at the the, the scenario um, of Papaletti and Kane playing together in uh, Nisbo. Uh, okay, we knew it was going to be a dry ground because you're under a roof, so you, you can look at speed of game, but it, it, it just seemed that Ireland uh, were as quick, and but just a bit more powerful man on man. Peter Omani, amazing player. Yeah, amazing player. Yeah, he is. And, uh, I mean, they are a very, very formidable pack. They're all big men. There's no doubt about that. Uh, probably the smallest man is Funder Flair, and, and he's still a big man. You know, you've got Caelan Doris at number eight. He's he's a big fellow. You're Omani. Ryan and Byrne are big blokes, and have got a very, very good front row. Um, so a bit like France, they are all big men, big ball carriers, etc., etc. And I don't think the All Blacks can afford to be playing three number sevens on the park against them. And uh, it was a bit unfair on Dalton Popoli in many ways because he had played, I think, nine or ma- made nine previous starts for the All Blacks at open side. And this was the first time that he'd actually played on the blind side for the All Blacks. So uh, clearly he was playing out of position. There's no doubt about that. Then there's the continuing debate about Artie Savir, of course, is he a number eight, is he a number seven? I think in the ideal world, he's probably a number seven, which would, um, which would mean, obviously, you'd have to, uh, have to leave uh, Sam Kane out. And then who do you play at number eight? You know, we need a big blockbusting number eight uh, along the lines, I guess, of Caelan Doris. So, look, there's, um, there's continuing debates, and they're all very interesting, Smithy. Okay, well, here's a, let's talk about what people will be talking about as well, Nisbo, because it had such a great impact on the game. Uh, and I'm sure you, you, you're a play-by-play caller, so you've just got to get on with the game like the players do as such. But I imagine on the sober light of day, or even over a cold one after the game, you talked about these card scenarios. The one now that Eddie Jones is backing up uh, from Australia, that Ian Foster's chiming in on as well. Um, these yellow and red card scenarios that are just being handed out on a regular basis. The loss of... The loss of Ta'avau, now the week before, as I said in my sermon, the week before, Darcy Swain gets sent off for an intentional headbutt. Don't have a problem with that. Is Angus Ta'avau's the same sort of crime here, with the same punishment? No. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I'm starting to think we need degrees of red card now. Um, and I don't know whether you, you have two different red, red, red cards or turn one into a white or a blue or some other damn thing, I'm not sure. But there was an intentional headbutt. That's a red card. Goodbye. Game over. Uh, there's an accident, a rugby accident, and that's all I can put it down to. And that doesn't deserve you to go to the sideline and be gone for the entire match, in my view. Um, if, if you are going to send someone to the sideline in that scenario, then I believe 20 minutes is, uh, is what we had. And we had that, of course, in Super Rugby. So you've got the intentional foul play and you've got the unintentional. And there's no way in the world that Angus Ta'avau could have avoided that. I don't think he even thought he was going to be the tackler until Ringrose pivoted and went straight at him. I mean, he, he had less than a second to do anything. And uh, do you think that he really wanted to go head-to-head with a bloke? Actually, he came off second no. best. Um, so, look, yeah, um, no. it's just, you've just got to be sensible, Smithy, sensible. 
Well, that's an interesting word, Nisbo, common sense refereeing, common sense officiating. Because the game not only does that, we're reduced to big, powerful men having golden oldie scrums. That, that is a weird scenario. And then this Adi Savia, clearly one of the best players on the planet, one of the people that people pay good money to either watch through their subscriptions or pay to go to the ground to come and see play, removed from the game by doing absolutely nothing wrong himself. How can that be right? <laughs> I, I don't know. There was total confusion, absolute confusion. And, I, and I'm reading between the lines here. I think the officials have got this wrong, and we're probably going to find out maybe today whether there is a law that suggests that Adi Savia had to stay off the field. I don't know whether there is. And, um, you know, Ian Foster yesterday in his press conference intimated that the officials might have told him that they got it wrong. But, hey, um, it, it didn't do the All Blacks any good on the night, did it? Uh, it was just bizarre, really. It was almost like they were making up the rules as they went along. Um, I've never come across that before in my life, that a bloke can't come back because he was just off the field briefly while, um, you know, while they had to pack a couple of scrums with, uh, you know, getting a prop on. So... I think that was a shambles and a mistake. It's a, it is a mistake, and, and it's wrong because it, it robs the game of quality, it rob the, robs the fans of quality, and it, it robs the, the All Blacks of one of their most potent weapons as the game goes on. And, you know, just, we saw last week uh, Adi Savia owned the last 15 minutes. Uh, well, he had no, he had no possibility of, of doing that. So I, I personally just believe they've got to look at that and look at it damn quickly, and not just over a, you know a, a summit or a forum coming up in the next six months at some stage, because rugby is dying in front of their eyes if they don't believe that. Yeah, look, I mean, you're not going to get the international rugby board to admit they've made a mistake. So um, you know, there's going to be probably going to be the odd apology here and there, and uh, and let's move on. But. You know, it's a bit like that scenario at the end of the Lions series in 217, Smithy, when the referees just made up a, mm. made up a law on the, on, on the hoof. Um, you know, either these things are right or they are wrong, and uh, they've got to sort it out. They do indeed. Um, obviously, uh, Northern Hemisphere uh, rugby is going OK because they had a hell of a weekend, didn't they? I mean... That was uh, some performance. I mean, Scotland, to me, the one that's probably talked about the least was Scotland knocking over Argentina so comfortably. Uh, and Argentina just kept, just kept happening. Yes, it's amazing what a week can do. I mean, seven days ago, we were all saying, you know, Southern Hemisphere rugby's had a great weekend. The All Blacks have beaten Ireland. Uh, the Wallabies have beaten England. Uh, Wales have lost to South Africa. And, of course, Argentina have won. Suddenly it all swings around, and now we've got four sort of grand finals coming up this weekend. Doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't. Uh, you mentioned what uh, you thought um, perhaps in terms of one or two changes that uh, the All Blacks need to do. Um, you know, uh, I quite like the fact that they were, they were consistent in terms of not changing a winning team, but here we've got a losing team. Um, and apart from Coles, and I totally agree, you cannot have Will Jordan not on the park for 80 minutes. Uh, what are they going to do here? Are, are we looking at a Moonga start this weekend? No, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. Um, I think Bowden Barrett was okay, certainly not as dominant at Eden Park, but, you know, it's the old scenario, Smithy. Uh, the 9 and 10 are never going to look any good if the forward pack aren't dominant. And the forward pack weren't dominant, which is understandable given that they, you know, played with only seven forwards for uh, the best part of, uh, 
you know, 60 minutes or so. So I think they'll stick with uh, with Bowden Barrett. They might look at the midfield. You know, you've got David Havili and uh, and um, and Goodhue uh, sort of poised to, to come back into the midfield. I don't think Quinn Tupai had his best ever game. Um, I was talking to lots of people on Saturday night about what they might do. And one guy who has to remain nameless uh, told me that he would go with uh, would go with Goodhue uh, because he's been there in those big situations before. But I think they will look at midfield for sure. I think Will Jordan uh, will play. Um, whether you bring him in for Fanga Anuku or Reese, I'm not sure. Probably Fanga Anuku, um, but certainly he has to start. No doubt about that. And then, of course, you've got the scenario of whether Sam Whitelock is fit. If he is fit, uh, then he'll play for sure. And Scott Barrett will go back to six. And as I said before, I'd be starting with uh, dear old Colsey at 35. Mm. But by gee, the Irish would know he was there. Yeah, well, good Paniki man, as you well know, Nisbo. Uh, what, what did you make of uh, Fokotava, fellow Fokotava's debut? Yeah, not bad, not bad. I mean, he, um, he had a couple of dabs. He went very close to scoring a try. Um, and uh, they brought him on with 20 minutes to go, and uh, I think he'd be pretty proud of his uh, performance. But, you know, it was a losing all-black effort, so it's a bit hard to celebrate, I suppose. But uh, he certainly didn't look out of place. Okay, uh, so Nisbo, um, this weekend, I mean, I, I didn't see too many injuries coming out of the Irish squad, uh, so I would imagine uh, COVID-free, they're, they're going to be pretty much the same weapon this weekend. Uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you forecasting? Uh, are, are you seeing an, an all-black revival here, an all-black change around? Oh, there will be a bounce back. There's no doubt about that. There will be a bounce back. Uh, you you kind of know what you're going to get with Ireland. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say they're predictable, totally predictable, but, um, you know, they're just a very good all-round team. I mean, they would have been a bit nervous when Johnny Sexton limped off with about uh, five minutes to go, but I think he'll be fine. Of course, they've got this other game here uh, tomorrow night against New Zealand Maori, um, and <laughs> I guess some of the test squad will have to make up, um, you know, the reserve or some of the reserve bench, and I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, the team that faces uh, the New Zealand Maori team will be asked to go just about the entire 80 minutes. They won't really want to get too many of their test players involved in this game. Um, they won't make any changes. Why would you? Um, I think they've come through relatively injury-free. Look, it's just a great scenario, really. It's, it's pretty hard to pick. Um, the All Blacks appeared to be dominant, although I did think the score flattered them in Eden Park, Smithy. Um, but they did have that dominant period just before half time. Then Ireland bounces back. I mean, it really sets it up for a terrific game. It does. Yeah, I can't wait, actually. And uh, I'm uh, happy to be saying and lucky to be saying that I'll be there sideline. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to your call as well. I think Justin's in the middle of us. So, uh, yeah, it'll be great. It'll be fantastic. The, a a, a three-test series. Absolutely love them with a third test meaning so much. Nisbo, thanks for your time this morning. Uh, have a good week, and we'll catch you at the weekend, eh? Good on you, Smithy. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Grant but there uh, helping us out uh, with a review of the weekend. Uh, Ireland against the All Blacks, 23-12, to 12, and history is made. He's with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Yes, never mind one loss to Ireland on the weekend. Uh, how about uh, a couple? And both of them were, would have been history-making. 
Well, it almost happened uh, in the cricket overnight as the Black Caps began their tour of Ireland with a shaky performance at the village in Malahide. Uh, with Gary Stead resting, uh, bowling coach Shane Jerkinson stepping in to take control. Uh, Tom Latham taking the captaincy again from Kane Williamson, who is also resting. That's a big theme for this tour, with several other key members of the site unavailable, including Trent Bolt, Tim Southey and Devin Conway. Winning the toss and electing to bowl first, the Black Caps uh, were looking to put pressure on the hosts with openers Paul Sterling and Andy Balburney dismissed within the first seven overs. Ireland were reduced to 26 for two. So at that time, very good move, Tom. Well done. But Andy McBride fired up 39 runs to get the Irish started. Then Harry Tector coming in at four played a really aggressive innings, 113 from 117 deliveries, which would have been the talking point of the match if it weren't for the, aerobic, uh, the aerobics, the heroics of Michael Bracewell to come later. Uh, Curtis Kempfer playing a solid supporting role with 43 or 47 balls before being dismissed by Glenn Phillips. England setting, uh, Ireland setting a target of 300 runs, setting 300 runs, so that's not what you want when you send a side in. Martin Guptill saving uh, our graces at the top of the order. Uh, he scored 51, his partners falling all around him. New Zealand reduced to... Uh, a very, very small start. No runs from Finn Allen. Nothing from Will Young. And Nichols and Latham also failing to fire. Uh, Phillips added 38. But once the dismissals of uh, East Sodi and Matt Henry happen, New Zealand were 217 for 8. Right, 217 for 8. With just over 7 overs remaining. I mean, you can't win from there. Surely you can't win from there. But they did. And if it went for Michael Bracewell, you'd have think that this game was in the bag for Ireland. An upset win that would have sent a few ripples through the cricketing world. Uh, but needing 20 runs in, off the final over for victory, Bracewell sealed the narrow one-wicket victory for the Black Caps with one ball to spare. If you stayed up for it, you'd be lucky to have fingernails left. New Zealand and Ireland will meet again for the second one-day international tomorrow night. Here's hoping we'll see more fireworks. Yes, that's the most runs ever. Most runs ever in the last over of a men's one-day international when a side is chasing. So uh, the previous, I think, was uh, around about 16 to 18. So uh, Michael Bracewell broke a, a, a world record in that respect. Uh, so, yeah, and quite incredible um, that uh, a game that was lost could be won at that point. And Michael Bracewell, an unlikely hero. He is a fine player, there's no doubt about it. Uh, is he a test spinner? We still don't know, do we? That was the Razine update for this Monday morning. Well, yes, uh, as uh, we said just before the news, um, we almost handed uh, a second loss of the weekend last night with uh, New Zealand cricket side getting out of jail. The first time of uh, three one-day internationals between the Black Caps and Ireland uh, took, par- took, uh, park at, uh, took place, I should say, in Malahide, uh, chasing a target of 301 to win. It was almost a game undone for the side led by Tom Latham if it went for some amazing uh, hitting power from Michael Bracewell at the end. One ball, just one ball was uh, left to be played when the result was decided. New Zealand chasing down 301 after having to get 20 runs off the final over. Ireland uh, on the other, uh, really uh, are a side uh, on the way up. They've already beaten sides like the West Indies. They've beaten England. They've beaten South Africa. And they damn near got us as well. Uh, joining us now from TalkSport in the UK is a cricket editor, commentator, and the host of the Following On podcast, uh, very well-known Jonathan Norman. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. I know it's a little bit late over there, but, man, now what a game of cricket uh, you called overnight. Oh, absolutely. And, and thanks for inviting me on the show. Uh, 
yeah, it was an incredible game of cricket. And truth be told, um, it, we weren't expecting that. You know, the team assembled, uh, got together. And, and for much of the contest, um, apart from uh, perhaps the first 10 overs of Ireland's innings, you know, it, it, it looked like it was going to be Ireland's win. You know, they, they, they put a score on the board themselves, 300 for nine. Harry Tector, uh, certainly a, a guy to keep an eye on. You know, he scored five consecutive 50s in white ball cricket now. He shone against India in the T20 series that took place uh, at the weekend. And, um, you know, this was uh, an undercooked and um, experimental New Zealand side, shorn of, you know, three or four world-class players and not quite there for the taking. But when they lost uh, two or three early ones, Latham had a real marginal leg before wicket decision go against him. Nichols edged uh, behind and, and you just felt Ireland were in control. They got experience throughout their bowling lineup. Uh, New Zealand was struggling to get the ball away. Guptill hasn't played any cricket since April. You know, he just about managed to get 50. But when he departed... You really thought the game was up because uh, New Zealand seemed to be a batter light, um, and then upset Michael Bracewell to put, to to conjure up one of the, dare I say, it, one of the great fifty-over performances. It was absolutely incredible. Hundred and twenty-seven of eighty-two balls. He'll, he'll be remembered, of course, for you know the breaking. Uh, I think it's the world record now for the number of runs conceded off uh, the last over in any one-day international, uh, particularly in a run-chase scenario. But 127 off 82 balls, that's remarkable. Well, what was made it even more remarkable was the fact that he, he, he flicked through the gears because his first 50, um, you know, were nowhere near that in terms of the run rate. He really played the, the match situation particularly well. And for a guy that was only playing his fourth ODI, bearing in mind, you know, like a lot of New Zealand cricketers, he's come into the uh, international setup with a lot of cricket behind him. You know, he's not a youngster. But the way he played the conditions, the way he played the game situation, and just the unflappability about the bloke, despite the fact that, you know, he was involved in a run out with each Sodi, which really looked like it was going to be the end of the game. 217 to 8 at that point. Um, the fact that uh, at the other end, Lockie Ferguson was struggling to get the ball away, Matt Henry, eight ball dark. Even in amongst all of this, he managed to put the pressure back on Ireland. And one of our commentators, Kath Dalton, who used to play for Ireland, she could see it a lot earlier than myself or Ian O'Brien uh, or Neil Manthorpe could. She could see it. She was saying, look, you can see the Ireland bowlers are starting to doubt themselves here. And New Zealand still needed the best part of 50. They only had one or two wickets left. But she was proved to be right. So uh, this Harry Tector is, a, a, as you say, a name that we should look out for. I mean, Ireland were in trouble when he came to the crease. What, what did you make? I mean, Tom Latham, you went, when you send a side in, um, Jonathan, when you send a side in, uh, you don't expect you're going to concede 300 runs. Uh, is that fair? What, what did you make of the New Zealand bowling performance? I oh, thought, thought that Lockie Ferguson was oh, terrific. No, nope. are you still there? Smithy, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, carry on, mate. I've yep. got the question. Um, look, uh, Tom Latham was asked after the, 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 the match whether, whether he made a mistake, essentially. He should have batted first. Ian O'Brien was of the opinion that possibly it was a defensive move because he was a bit unsure about the batting and wanted to take, take advantage of the overheads. Um, look, I thought Lockie Ferguson looked terrific. Uh, Matt Henry and Ferguson were searching for their line of lengths, you know, which is understandable. But, they, they you know, Lockie Ferguson bowled fast. Uh, Henry had nip and, you know, they got on top of uh, Ireland early. But I think 
where they struggled was what came after that. Blair Tickner bowled relatively well, considering he hasn't bowled in Ireland before and he hasn't played a lot of cricket. But there, was, there wasn't much coming back. There wasn't much after that. East Sodi was brought on probably five or six overs earlier than really Latham would have wanted. Bracewell did it with the ball, but uh, with the bat, but didn't really make any inroads with the ball. So they seem to me to be one bowler light. Uh, and maybe that's an area they'll seek to address, but not a lot, to be honest, waiting to come in with Milne with a little niggle. So um, I didn't think they were, apart from when Ferguson was on, they didn't look like they were they were going to take wickets too often. You know, it was more down to batsman error, really. So didn't really overly impress. But when you consider the bowlers that aren't playing and the fact that, you know, there's very little experience in that side. I think that, uh, mm. you know, Martin Guptill has played as much as many ODIs as nine of the other members of the New Zealand side, if you take Tom Lathan out of it, pretty much. So an experimental mm. side, a, a new side, and one that aren't used to the conditions. Um, you know, I, but I do think that they got out of they got out of jail a little bit today. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. It's the one that Ireland will rue. Um, of course, but uh, let's talk about um, the strength of associate cricket then, uh, can we? I mean, you know, uh, Ireland, of course, uh, it's, it wouldn't have been a fluke if they beat New Zealand because, of course, they've done it to major nations before. Uh, how's the, the strength and the development of Irish cricket as you see it? Well, look, I think that the World Super League, which is the, uh, the changes brought in, which essentially meant that all of the... Um, uh, I mean, they are full members, aren't they? But teams like Ireland and Netherlands, they essentially have to play, you know, uh, the likes of England and New Zealand and Pakistan. And it just meant to, to essentially qualify for the World Cup. Um, and it's something the ICC are getting rid of, which is an absolute farce in itself. You know, finally, Netherlands have got a summer of cricket involving New Zealand, Pakistan and England. Ireland have got the same. And the other thing is Ireland just played India in two T20s. Ireland came within a, a six of chasing down 227 in the T20 against India. And India side that have just walloped England, you know. So they mm. need these games if they're to progress. And unfortunately, the ICC and its infinite wisdom have actually put together something that works. And after the, this cycle of games culminating in the World Cup in India next year, they're taking it away again. So uh, good. It, it's, it's always a case of one step forward, two steps back. It is bizarre. It is absolutely bizarre when you, f you put something together and it finally comes to fruition. Why you turn around and gazampa? I, I just can't understand uh, the scenario behind that, I I've got to say. Uh, look, we can't let you go without uh, a quick review, Jonathan. Of course, you'd, you've kept a, a very close eye on England and uh, the, the, the way they've just turned this uh, around, not only against New Zealand, but against uh, India as well. I mean, uh, I think I, th I thought there'd be a change, but I don't think anyone anticipated it would be a change for the better to this degree. Did you? Oh, absolutely not. You know, I, I thought there'd be a short term bounce because it couldn't get any worse. One win from 17. Um, I kind of had the feeling that New Zealand were struggling a little bit. They, they certainly weren't where they were last year. They, they just lost to Bangladesh at home. They lost to South Africa at home as well. So, you know, this isn't this isn't the New Zealand side that maybe toured England 12 months ago. But, boy, I mean, you know, I've watched a lot of England cricket over the last 10 years. And the last two or three years have been typified by, you know, timid cricket, conservative cricket, um, you know, cricket lacking in ticker, uh, cricket uh, lacking in 
in any anything approaching adventurousness, you know, and it's just as though Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes have just flicked a light switch and suddenly it's all changed. Now, I'm still not quite sold on the idea that Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark are quaking in their boots about coming over to England next summer, but suddenly it looks like we might have a contest. But one thing I will say is this, whilst you've just got to enjoy from an English perspective what has taken place over the last four test matches. There are similarities between um, the, the challenge that England faced. All three test matches against New Zealand, uh, essentially they came up against a team with three bowlers. You know, there was Sean of Collins of Granholm in the first test, as well as uh, Patel, who only bowled two overs. Sean of Carl Jameson in the second test. And then in the third test, because they went in with three seamers and Michael Bracewell, who's hit out the tack so quickly again. So there is that. The other thing is, um, you know, they're coming up against undercooked sides. India have essentially flown into player test and flown out again. Um, and New Zealand as well were undercooked for the first test match. The other thing, Smithy, is I've still got a funny feeling about this ball that they've used. You know, you're essentially seeing teams trying to change it after every over. It's not giving either side any hint of reverse the pitches are staying very true that Trent Bridge track just looked as good on day five as it did on day one so I've got a feeling we will look back at this summer and we'll say it was a brilliant experience um, but if that ball starts reverting back to the Dukes ball that we uh, we know and love the conditions within the pitches and also uh, you know England aren't able to chase in fourth innings you might see uh, a different story but you know you just got to enjoy it because the cricket for the first time in years is putting smiles on people's faces and, and that's got to be appreciated brilliant absolutely brilliant uh, scenario and uh, nice nice for england cricket uh because i know how passionate the fans are over there as are the commentators yourself included uh jonathan thank you so much for your time this morning thanks for uh staying up late to review that uh, one day international for us and of course uh, the next one is just around the corner as well so uh, we'll wait uh, with interest to see if new zealand can play a little bit more <clears throat> convincingly, shall we say. Jonathan, thank you very much. Jonathan Norman, uh, travel well, stay well. Thank you. Thank you very much, matey. Anytime. Yeah, yeah cheers. Jonathan Norman there calling it, uh, of course, uh, out of uh, Ireland, Mal- Malahide Stadium. Uh, stadium in Malahide, absolutely beautiful little boutique venue, isn't it? Gorgeous place to play cricket. Uh, and uh, I think the other factor that we've got to look uh, back into as well, our premium slow white ball bowler is Mitchell Santner. There's no doubt about that. And his ability to put the brakes on and to bowl some relatively tight overs is one of the strengths of the New Zealand side. He wasn't there either. Uh, and I think that's a, a big thing. But the fact of the matter is our spinners continue to get plundered and it doesn't seem to matter who it is we're bowling against. It's an issue, no doubt about it, 9.44. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we've got a few texts in already. We're expecting a lot more on double eight, double three, and uh, after ten o'clock, we'll give the opportunity to call as well. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Vent your spleen if you like. Uh, have a crack if you want to. A couple of things to talk about, and they're both the really Ireland uh, against New Zealand, and the cards, the red card, the yellow card system. Uh, man, how disillusioning is it? Uh, for instance, uh, we got a text in from. Zane, of course, and Zane uh, is always very considered and uh, obviously used to be a massive uh, rugby fan, but now it's not um, because of the way the game is trending, really. And he's coming this morning to 100% agree with your sentiment regarding the cards. 
I turned the game off as soon as the red card was given. That is such an illogical rule that ruins the game. On a side note, do you recall my text that won me the bed? Remember his aim won the $10,000 bed package? Fantastic it was. Um, that uh, He texted in after we lost to South Africa last year. Uh, I'd say you could read it today and replace South Africa with Ireland. The All Blacks simply aren't as good as they used to be, so we have to expect more losses than we had during the golden era under Hanson. How many of our players are the best in the world in their position these days? Probably none. Yet back in 2015, you could have argued two or three were the best in their positions. That being the case, I think we need to temper our expectations over the next couple of years. Well, Zane, um, yep, perhaps we are. It's just not the nature of the beast, though, is it, mate? It's just not the nature of the beast that we um, we can stomach it, to be fair. Uh, for instance, uh, text come uh, without a name on it, but would be happy to lose again this weekend if that meant Razor would come in and take over. Ken has come in and said, uh, Smithy, your big number eight you want is Hoskins Satutu, and please not Barrett at six. That would be a big mistake. Midfield is at RTS time. That brings up an interesting point. I would imagine that had we led the series 2-0, Roger Tuovasashek would have made his debut off the bench in Wellington. I think that uh, fair to say that he'd been in the camp for, what, two to three weeks. They would have liked to have seen how he had would emerge on the field in an all-black jersey. Not sure now, having got to a scenario that this is a must-win test match, that they'll be experimenting too much off the bench. Uh, what was unfortunate was Artie even going off at all. Kane or a back should have gone. He is our best player and should be on for the full game. Brian, I tend to agree with you there. Uh, I just don't understand why you would take Artie Severe off the park at any stage unless he was injured. He is such a good player. He's such great form. He is such the go-forward guy with ball in hand uh, when it comes to the loose forwards. The other two are not really prolific ball carriers as such. And so uh, Artie Severe has to be a man, and if you're wanting to turn things around, Artie Savia has to be instrumental into doing that, so I'm not quite sure why he was off in the first place at all when I look back on that match. There's some really weird stuff going on, but the, the, the essence is this. You, you can't continue to have this happening. Uh, we had our last player, we had two players sent off between uh, when All Blacks first started playing in 1967, Cyril Brownlee and uh, Colin Meads. Then in the last uh, five years or six years, I think we've had six sent off, five or six sent off. A couple of Barretts, Sonny Bill Williams chucked in there as well. Angus Ta'aval, uh, of course, has been uh, eliminated as well. There's been five or six. Uh, I think Toonga Farsi might have had his marching orders at one point. Five or six sent off, uh, almost at the rate of one a year, and maybe getting more than that. Uh, yellow cards, God knows how many. The, the scenario is that it's just getting completely and utterly out of hand. Nice to see Eddie Jones and Ian Foster uniting on the fact, even though Eddie, Fo- uh, Eddie Jones was uh, on the other side uh, of the Tasman, not commenting on his game as such, commenting on the fact that it's being ruined, and, and that was a bizarre, bizarre scenario. It is 9.53 here on SENZ. Uh, when we return, we'll have a multi for 10 o'clock. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Right, so what have we got in line today? The Yankees to beat the Red Sox I think that'll happen uh, later today At $1.68 
there is uh, a game of Sales Bend BL tonight, and that features the HB uh, Hawks Bay Hawks up against the Sands Otago Nuggets. Uh, $1.25, the Hawks are favoured to win that. And uh, also there's uh, Summer League Basketball being played uh, in America. And I've got the Grizzlies to beat the Timberwolves today at $1.46. So that makes it $3.06 for a quiet start to the week in terms of multis. Uh, We've got talkback time coming uh, straight after the news air at 10 o'clock. We invite your calls on uh, anything that you saw over the weekend, particularly Ireland against uh, New Zealand, rugby or cricket. Very interesting, wasn't it? Very interesting indeed. Uh, it is uh, coming up to uh, news time, and here, of course, is Araha. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800-150-811. Yep, it's time to call. As you heard, 0800-150-811. 50 bucks Chemist Warehouse voucher up for grabs. First uh, off the rank this morning is uh, Dean. Uh, Dean from Dunedin, of course, who has been looking forward to last weekend for such a long time. Uh, bought 10 tickets. Uh, had a big prep uh, going into it. It was primed to go. Uh, but Dino, you said you don't care as long as we win. So how much do you care this morning, mate? Well, if I'm allowed to, Smithy, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to the New Zealand and Irish supporters for keeping the hospitality industry in the deep south surviving for the next 12 months. <laughs> it was Undoubted. Um, the law courts, honest truth, I didn't ask the owner, but I guarantee you, they took a year's takings on Saturday night. I put money on it. Absolutely put money on it. I've got plenty too, mate. The TAB went through the roof. Absolutely through the roof. Right. And the game? Yeah, exactly what we should have expected. Hats off to the Irish. I'm not sure what we do. Honestly, Smithy, I'm just not sure what we do. I, I think if you've got a a coach that doesn't know the substitution rules, we've got a real problem. So I would have thought as a coach, you should know all the rules. And like you, you said earlier with the people that were being interviewed, we, the, the radio's been going all queer down here. I haven't been able to listen to very much of it, but I don't understand why Artie Savio would be off the field ever in an all-black test, apart from if you're going to tell us we want to get him to the 2023 World Cup, so we're going to try and save his legs. But I don't know, like... We just didn't seem to have too much. And the glaring problem is, for me, like, rugby incidents should not be considered foul play by a referee. Now, I don't know. I thought we had it right, and then all of a sudden it got terrible. Like, where was Angus to go? He had nowhere to go. Like, he did a beautiful front-on tackle. They both smashed heads. That That's rugby, unfortunately. You know, you can't do anything about it. It just is what it is. Uh, Fire Nuku. Like, if a fullback jumps in the air to catch a ball and the, and the guy running in to tackle him takes his legs out from underneath him, he's sent off. All Leicester tried to do was charge down the kick 
the Irishman had nowhere to go. Leicester had nowhere to go, but Leicester gets sent off when he's in the air. So that rule's on its head as well. Like it's, it's just bad luck, boys. Hopefully no one's hurt. Let's roll on. It's not even a penalty. So I'm not making excuses. We've got some glaring problems. I think if we really wanted to push the panic button, we'd just out the, roll out the Crusaders against Leinster and hope for the best because that's actually a team and they'll know how to combat them up front. It's one up front, mate. We've always said that. The board's determined by how much. The back's just determined the score. It's, it's that simple. Like it's, The game is simple. But honest truth, there's no um, Guinness in Dunedin. The Chemist Warehouse, I damn say they're out of condoms as well. But it was one hell of a weekend and looking forward to a whole week. Like the tennis last night was unbelievable. And then what do we got? Tuesday we got the Maori going to give them a crack. Well, that's going to be interesting now. I think State of Origin's Wednesday. It's just a shame we've got to do two days' work in between. But, oh, we'll get through the work. We couldn't play golf on Friday. It was raining cats and dogs. We had a roof. And congratulations, Justin. Placemakers. What a crew he had turned up there. I was fortunate enough, Smithy, I'll be able to say on the radio, I got dropped off at the law courts by John Leslie's wife, and I shared the back seat with Andy, and Andy's wife was in the front seat. What a chat. What a day, what a weekend. That's it. Andy Leslie, Andy Leslie. Wow, sharing the car with Andy Leslie and Leslie Leslie and John Leslie's wife driving you. Fantastic, Dino. Uh, thanks for your summation there. Thanks for your summation. I can tell you're a little bit depressed, possibly a little bit hungover, and even even more possibly just a little bit tired. Uh, Ed from Tolaga Bay. Ed from Tolaga Bay. Good morning to you, my old friend. How did you, what did you do over the weekend? Where did you watch the rugby, first of all, mate? Oh, man, I, I worked the weekend, so I'm an early starter, so i got to go. I get up at like half past two, so I had to be in bed. But, um, Smitty, um, Mitty to the um, the cricket boys of Bracewell, 127. What's that little asterisk? Is that um, not out? That's not out, mate. That's exactly what that is. He was unbeaten yeah. at the end of the game, yep. Yeah, but, man. Um, on, our, on our All Blacks, geez, I'll take you. I'll take you back to 1993 when we played Wanganui, and they had this Top Gun first five. So we used to load up one side with our Lucy's and just chase them all day. And then at the end of the game, he decided he wanted to run from his 22. Well, he got off the paddock in a in a sling because three Lucy's met him. At the same time, bang! But they had um, yeah. oh, they had a mean, mean centre, Chris Hainsworth, solid as piece of a fella, and they had um, in the fours they had that Bruce Hanson. So I'm hoping oh, the Bruce Blacks, Hanson. Yeah, yeah, man. I ran into him, and he ran into me. I went flying, and then I made him go flying. But um, for the All Blacks, oh, I miss Frank Butts coming in from the centre and just. Having a cracker and um, you know stiffening up those guys, like uh, put one on the on their first five, and the Lucy's get on that first five boys, whack them. But um, letting those big forwards run through the All Blacks, oh man, oh no way, oh. Well, that's all I gotta say, Smitty. Just gotta stiffen up, boys, and hopefully um the Mouldies. They have a go at those leprechauns and um, have a, put a few in the hangi. <laughs> Good on you, Ed. Good on you. Ed, looking forward to uh, 
Looking forward to a hungry in Tolaga Bay at some time with you, mate. I must say, that would be a weekend away. Uh, Dermot, uh, g'day Dermot. Thanks very much. Dermot's from Southland. Uh, good morning to you, mate. What's on your mind? Good morning, Smitty. Um, first, long-time listener, first-time caller. Proud Irishman today. Mm-hmm. Had the privilege of being at the game. was amazing. Unfortunately, the referee... Okay, le- yeah, well, he, he did to a, a large degree, uh, and I'm not sure whether it's totally the referee or just the lawmakers or the rule makers, uh, Dermot, but having said that, let's not take anything away from... A fantastic Irish performance. We we saw it at Eden Park the week before in the second half in particular, and they started where they left off. They were they were quite superb. Yeah, definitely. And I I believe Eden Park they they got beat because Sexton went off and he was running the game. And as you guys talked about during the week, if Johnson Sexton is there, Ireland have every chance of winning that game. And they were just they just wanted it more. Let's, let's like talk you, about, you talk uh, about the, the, you talk about, yeah. Sorry, could we talk about like, the Warriors' I, DNA? Yep. And like, have they all Blacks lost their DNA a wee bit? I think perhaps they've lost uh, their DNA. I think they're a little bit confused at the moment, to be honest. I, I'm not quite sure that they're uh, absolutely on the same wavelength at times on the field of play. Uh, I, I think there's a, a little bit of uh, confusion in what they're doing. Certainly there's some communication uh, breakdown and what they're doing as well but uh, you can point the finger at the coach you can point your finger you know at the coaching staff as such uh, Dermot but they don't they don't drop the ball they don't play you know, you know when they when they they don't play they don't drop the ball they don't get offside they don't commit indiscretions as such uh, indiscretions which these days cost you a lot more than they used to do so I'm not I'm not quite sure we can we can keep pointing the the finger at uh uh, at the at the, the head coach and his coaching staff in, in that regard. He must be just as equally frustrated as we are watching. But um, your Irish side, I think, you know, genuine, genuine now, bearing in mind they're heading back to the Northern Hemisphere to, to try and win this World Cup, a definite, a definite possibility. You must be encouraged by that if they keep this unit together. Oh, definitely. If, if Jonathan Sexton says that he's the key to our team. And, like, what... Like, Ireland have come off a very good... Um, Grand Slam, yes. where the All Blacks are just coming in. Like I believe the All Blacks are, they, they will, they'll be the team to beat the World Cup. Ireland are great, but whoever beats the All Blacks will win the World Cup. Mm. Interesting. You know, I don't suppose you're heading north to Wellington for the big finale, are you, Dermot? I try to get. I'm going to try to get tickets if I can. I can. If I can't, I can't. But yeah, it'll be some game up there. I want it. It'll be something special, mate. Uh, thank you very much uh, for, after all this time, making contact with us. Please don't be a stranger. Ring up any time you like. Love to talk to you. Simon from Hamilton. Good morning, Simon. Good yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, about the All Blacks, for me, one person sort of ruined the game, and it wasn't the guy in the middle. It was the guy sitting up in the box. CMO, he absolutely destroyed that game. What are your thoughts? Well, I actually, yeah, I actually don't know why we need a TMO. I've been thinking about this. Why, why do we need a TMO? Because I'll, I'll tell you for, for why for me, because he sees the referee now when it comes to anything that they talk about, anything that they put the game on hold for, the referee in the middle sees exactly the same view when it comes to the review that is available to the TMO. I mean, when they discuss it together, that's logic, isn't it, that they've got to be seeing the same information. So... 
I'm not quite sure why we have to have a TMO and why he has to be, at the end of the day, um, the, the chairman of the board. The referee should be chairman of the board. He should only seek advice when he wants advice, and he's got to back himself to make gut calls and say, listen, do I really believe that Angus Tauval had intent to go head-to-head with an opposition player? Do I really believe that is the uh, that act desult, uh, deserves the ultimate form of punishment in the game? Do I? Do I and what? Of course I don't believe that. So therefore, I'm not giving him a red card. Simple. So I'm, I'm not sure if you... If, I, I sort of... When I watched it, I heard... Um, well, in both occasions, he let the um, Bayanuku thing go. He, he saw that, didn't say anything, mm. didn't sort of mention it anything, let things play on, and they almost scored or... Uh, they got a weak, weak kick to back out, and then it went to the TMO. When... Um, Darvel had the head flash. Um, Piper were his first words, it's an accident. And if you go back and you listen to the thing, that's exactly what he said. Looked like an accident to me. But the TMO just brings everything up, slows everything down. And why why is it the tackler? I mean the guy with the ball, he's just as much to blame for that tackle. He never got sent off. Oh. It's 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 baffling, you know, Simon. It's baffling, but it's predictably baffling, and that is the thing. And something will happen again this weekend. And all the games of rugby around the world, you know full well, something more is is going to happen. Uh, so we'll be talking about it next Monday morning as well. And let's just hope, from New Zealand's point of view, the All Blacks aren't on the receiving end of it this time around. Uh, Michael from the beautiful Tutukaka. Michael, good morning to you. Smithy, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. But, but hey, good. I just, you made a comment last week that, that uh, it, we needed to let Foster and Kane take us through to the World Cup. Do you still have that opinion this week? Because I think there's a lack yeah, of leadership I... there, Smithy. I, I watched Foster on the TV. Um, they panned up to him a couple of times. He looked like a possum in the headlight, mate. No idea. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I probably... If, morning talking. Yeah. You heard the boys talking like the Irish is so... Like, uh, Andy Farrell could lead the Irish through hell and back and they'd follow him and, and then go another round. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what we're mm. missing leadership at the moment, eh? You can talk about the yeah, well, I, I, home, mate, but, but they are what they are and those are the rules and they're going to keep on officiating to the rules and the IRB aren't going to change these rules, right? So we need to stop, stop psychoanalyzing the cards because they are what they are and it's not going to change, you know? We've got to learn to play with this. And I think also, uh, Michael, we've got to learn to uh, just expect that uh, Ian Foster will be the head coach at the World Cup and so will John Plumfrey be there and... Uh, all the uh, assistant coaches, remember one thing, uh, remember one thing, and uh, I look forward to this as well, is that at the conclusion of this test match, right, this last test against Ireland, Joe Smith will be with that squad full-time, full-time. I think, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to I'll give a, an opportunity for Ian Foster and Joe Smith to work together because I really rate Joe Smith as well. Uh, I would like to see how that unfolds against the test matches against South Africa and the rugby before the end of this calendar year. Um, that, that to me, Michael, will be the absolute. But I'll be honest with you, uh, you're right. It look, we look leaders, uh, leaderless at times, and that's why the confusion reigned over the whole scenario. And still, 
at the end of the day can't understand why Artie Savera was off the field, if fully fit, at any stage of proceedings. He's my trump card. He is absolutely my trump card if I'm Ian Foster. Uh, thanks, everybody. Um, we've, you know, we had to uh, decline a couple of callers because we've just simply run out of time. We've got to get to a panel next with Mark Hinton and Hamish Bidwell and hear their thoughts on what unfolded over the weekend. Uh, thank you. We'll make a decision on the $50 uh, chemist warehouse voucher very soon. Yeah, panel this morning is uh, going to consist of uh, Hamish Bidwell, just uh, trying to get Hamish up on the line. But we do have uh, Mark Hinton with us uh, straight away from the outset. Uh, Mark Hinton, good morning to you. Uh, look, uh, every time I watch a test match these days, something uh, catches my eye, takes it by surprise. I still can't quite get over what I saw on Saturday night. Can you put your head around it? Are we getting this horribly wrong as fans, as, as uh, watchers of the game? Um, over this card setup, this card system as such, are we are we are we confusing ourselves here? Is it as simple as as what it should be? Um, <laughs> good morning, Smithy. Yeah, um, I, it's as clear as mud, isn't it, when it comes to uh, cards and uh, and everything these days? Look, clearly, yeah, we we have to get our heads around this. Um, if you put yourself in a position to make head contact you are going to um, see a card. If you knock a ball forward um, in, in any manner um, on defence, you are going to see a card. It's two aspects of the game that, have, that doesn't, they don't sit comfortably with people, do they? But they are here to stay, both of them. Um, the, zero, the sort of zero um, tolerance around head contact and, and the sort of deliberate knock-on rule that they seem fixated by. So, yeah, I think we do have to get a head around it. Um, um, and, and the most disappointing thing of all, Smithy, was the New Zealand rule around red cards that, sort of, that, that created the situation where a player could be replaced after 20 minutes, I thought was a pretty sensible rule in this era. And look, it's come home to roost, hasn't it, with the early sending off on Saturday night, creating you know a situation where... where um, I guess there was an uh, imbalance for, for a large percentage of the match and it, and it probably swayed it. Look could, look, could the All Blacks still have won you know, with their numerical disadvantage? Of course they could. The Wallabies did it a week earlier against England. So I don't think we pin everything on that, but it just created such, I guess, so much... Um, it's created such uncertainty. It created, I think, panic in the All Blacks ranks and it created... Um, worrying, um, a worrying lack of organisation really in the New Zealanders as well. I, I just thought they looked confused side all night, um, a bit like the fans scratching their heads over the decisions. I don't think the All Blacks ever came to terms with what happened, and the result was they were staring uh, down the barrel of a loss at the end, Smithy. That you know really doesn't doesn't sit comfortably with with All Blacks fans because we was the fight, it just wasn't there. Okay, Hamish Bidwell joins us uh, again this morning as well. Hamish, as you were looking on, uh, what were you making of that that whole scenario? Could you keep up with who was coming and going? Oh, I enjoyed it immensely. It was one of the best games I've seen. Like, I love to see the befuddlement on Ian Foster's face. I love to see him uh, getting who goes on and who goes off wrong. I love to see the All Blacks struggling and losing. I think it's good for rugby. I think it's good for the All Blacks. Um, I didn't appoint Ian Foster. I wouldn't have appointed him. I certainly wouldn't have reappointed him. And I enjoy watching him struggle. I said to you last week that we just have to get on with it now. Well, getting on with it, in this case, means enjoying their struggles. Like, I, I don't think 
like the laws are hard. I, I feel for Piper. I feel for all referees who have to administer the laws. That they're, they're not that workable at the moment. But they're in an invidious position, officials. And to be fair, the All Blacks are used to playing with 13 anyway. Because if you're playing on the wing outside Rico Yawani, you're a spectator because he dies with the ball all the time. So. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a thoroughly entertaining and enthralling match, same as the week before, and I'm looking forward to Saturday. So, uh, in respect, uh, in uh, respect of, of what you saw over the weekend, uh, what about on the field of play? Do you think the confusion stems from off the field of play? I mean, do we do we have direction on the field of play uh, to uh, any degree of your liking, Hamish? No, I thought the All Blacks were losing that game uh, regardless of who was or wasn't on the field. Um, the final score flattered them. They were thoroughly beaten. I think a team better than Ireland would have turned more of those breaks or half breaks into points. Um, you could say it was manful defence, good scrambling by the All Blacks, but I, I thought Ireland were, were miles better. And uh, whenever a team can tackle the All Blacks, they don't seem to have a plan B. They they. they they're used to sort of almost people falling at their feet. And um, yeah, when you stand up to them, when you match them physically or dominate them as Ireland did, there's no plan B, there's no sense of what to do from here. Um, yeah, and I reckon that's good. Like, I, I, in the wider scheme of things, we've seen Northern Hemisphere teams win this week. You know, that's good for rugby. We can't have foregone conclusions. We can't have one-horse races. We need to have uncertainty about results. We need to have um, challenges, difficulties, those sorts of things. They're good for rugby. All Blacks' dominance, I don't think, helps the game. Um, and I like to see NZR under pressure because they've made this bed and uh, they're going to have to line it. OK. Um, some pretty, uh, uh, I think, uh, pointed remarks there at the coaching side of things and, and uh, Mark Hinton. Uh, I've got to say... Um, uh, jury's out for me on it, on it now because we see the same problems reoccurring and the, this physicality thing this you, you've got to be physical but um, you can't be, afford to be too physical it seems so <clears throat> I, I, I feel a little bit you know uh, from one week to the next with the, with the uh, officiating of the game as well I, I just I kind of think some referees are a little bit more liberal a little bit more common sense in the, the way they view things and, and some aren't yeah, um, you know, no, I'm not sure what Angus Ta'avau could have done um, to avoid that situation, um, and, you know, and, and, and culpability on his behalf was pretty minimal. But, you know, he got himself in that in that situation by coming in upright, I guess that's the only thing. I mean, if you, if you come in with your head up into a tackle situation, you are going to um, risk these type of situations. You need to get down and tackle around the waist, clearly. Um, so, yeah, look, Smithy, the biggest concern for me is um, three of the last four tests, you know, all under Foster. Um, the, the All Blacks have been asked questions and, and not only didn't have answers, were, were flat out bereft of, of, of anything resembling solutions. And, and, and the one exception was Eden Park last week. And look, it's notable that it was a week in which Foster was absent for the entire week. Hamish has hinted at at it. Um, Should he have been reappointed last year on the back of two wins over the Wallabies? Absolutely not. It was a ridiculous decision at the time. I I lamented it. Um, I felt it was way too premature, and as time would play out, they went on to lose to the box and then back-to-back to to Ireland and France on tour. And if they had their time over again and assessed 
foster situation at the end of his two years, I think you might have, well, they at least could have had a, had a different result. But uh, as Homie says, um, they've made their bets. They've reappointed Foster for two more years. It would be unprecedented for them to back down on that now to sack him. They'd have to pay him out two years. They can afford it. They've got a bit of money in their chest at the moment. But they would also have to admit they were wrong. So I think we're playing forward with Ian Foster. So we have to find that. Well, the All Blacks have to find solutions. And, and at the moment, they look a long way off, Smithy, don't they? They they, they just didn't have the answers on on Saturday, whether that was physicality or whether it was just flat out organisation and ability to respond. That they hung in there for the first half and showed showed p- positive signs. I thought I thought at half time they were a chance to win, and, and it would have been a fabulous test win. You know, given the situation, but then they just really didn't fire a shot in the second half. So there's a, a, a lot to fix, um, and 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 why you pull your best player off in a situation like that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And we shouldn't gloss over the fact that that was a monumental cock up. You you don't remove your best player. If you look at that loose trio. Um, who's the one guy in that loose trio that you that you really can't afford to have off the field? It's certainly not Artie Savia, and the guy you must have on is certainly not Sam Kane. So I, they just got that so badly wrong, and it really summed up a shocking weekend for the All Blacks. Yep, totally agree. I, I totally agree with, with that uh, sentiment about Artie Savia. They must have looked at each other uh, up on the box and say, how, how do we take Artie, Artie off? Who, who took Artie off? I mean, how, how come Artie's not out there? I'm, uh, surely they must have at some point thought... We got that horribly wrong. And then they found out they couldn't have him for the rest of the game. They must have sat back and thought, we're toast. Uh, 10.33 here. We'll be back very shortly with part two of the panel. The opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah. 10.35. Uh, we have Hamish Bidwell and Mark Hinton with us this morning on the panel. Hamish Bidwell, news coming through overnight that uh, Novak Djokovic wins Wimbledon number seven for him. And not quite for Nick Kyrgios. So what did you make of the last few days at Wimbledon, Hamish? Uh, I struggle with tennis. And one of the reasons is I'm slightly conspiracy theorist type. And, you know, footage of Novak Djokovic signaling to his box for instructions with a bottle he had and then inhaling a mystery substance and then not elaborating on what that mystery substance is. You know, out in the world, there are people who wonder how some ageing tennis players have achieved their longevity. Um... I won't speculate upon it here, but, um, you know, you could make your own conclusions. But, yeah, there's, there's some things that I think you struggle to take at face value with some elite sports, and uh, tennis would be one of them. And then you had Kyrgios as the opponent facing a domestic assault charge, just generally a brat of the highest order. Um, yeah, tough one to get enthused about for me, that one. OK. Uh, Mark, did you uh, take a, a little note of it? Yeah, yeah, it was a bit quite of the dark read on it that uh, Hamish did, but uh, yeah, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? When when Djokovic is kind of the good guy, <laughs> it shows you who's across the other side of the net from. No doubt about it. Kyrgios is an interesting character. A lot of people say he's good for the game because he brings he brings fans that are, um, I guess, not not your normal tennis fans. But if someone alienates kind of your core supporters. As much as the curious does, you got to wonder about how, just how good they are for the game. Look, he, he is a very unusual type of guy, and inevitably beats himself and finds a way to unravel. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of one of the great things about watching him. It's like watching a car crash. You, you know something's going to happen, um, and it's going to be 
you know, pretty ugly, <laughs> and you just uh, you just wait for that moment. He reasonably held it together, for from what I can work out. I didn't stay up through the night to watch it, but um, he, um, you know, he vaguely sort of by his standards held it together enough, um, but still found ways to kind of, you know, blame everyone but himself. I mean, that's the thing with Kyrgios, isn't it? But the other side of it, Djokovic now uh, poses to within one of Nadal. We've got this really interesting situation, haven't we? Of, of um, of who's going to end up with the most Grand Slam titles, uh, uh, whatever means they uh, have done to get there, um, you have to think that Novak Djokovic has has got that within him, if he can hold it together for the rest of the year, whatever magic potions he may or may not take. Well, here we find ourselves at 10.37 on a Monday morning, Hamish Bidwell, and we heard nothing from the Warriors camp already. Uh, This is a wonderful start to the week for them, on the back of the appointment of uh, Andrew Webster last week, uh, as their new head coach, uh, another turbulent week. Yeah, I, I feel ashamed sometimes as a rugby league fan, but I live in New Zealand. It means we get a lot of Warriors news, and, and fairness to them, they don't really merit it. They are an irrelevance. They are uh, an ailing organisation. Like, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, and the Warriors owner, Mark Robinson, has a little bit of knowledge of rugby league, at least in his mind, and so he... His, his fingerprints are over everything, and, and it's a strange club. Like, you can't attract people to come, and the people that are there don't want to stay there. That's It doesn't speak that well of the environment. That doesn't speak that well of the organisation, notwithstanding the challenges that COVID has you know, forced upon the team and the dislocation all that kind of stuff. Like, it's not a club that people want to stay at or go to. That's That's a real issue, and... Andrew Webster, no one was competing for his signature as, as head coach. Um, he wouldn't have been hired by any other club. I, I can't see anything changing or improving. Um, I, I think we are at the point where we do have to worry about or wonder about the people owning the club and running the club and whether they're the, the right people for the club because as it stands, they're a bit of an embarrassment. They are, uh, Amish, and uh, I, I've got to say, uh, Mark Hinton, while you had most of your eyes on rugby uh, over the week, uh, I'm not sure the the, uh, the name Andrew Webster, with a little bit I've known about him, makes me want to rub my hands together and think, yes, we're on the right track for next year. Let's get it started. <laughs> and what's even more extraordinary is they've appointed him on a three-year term. I mean, a guy with, you know, as, as Hamish says, not exactly a glittering CV. Why do you appoint the guy for three years? You know, possibly the only terms he'd come on, but um, three years seems a long time for a guy that's kind of still proving himself at this level and, and, and with the Warriors track record. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't back on him seeing out that term, would you, Smithy? Um, yeah, at, you know, at, at a moment like this, you'd expect to be awash with um, hearing and seeing from Andrew Webster, wouldn't you? This is a club that needs some positive um, vibes around it. They're on a one-match winning streak, so... Um, you know, um, you would think they'd be out, out there um, knocking the media's door down, trying to sell everyone on the story of, of the new coach. But if they're not doing that, and um, I'm, you know, I'm not part of the Warriors' sort of day-to-day coverage by any stretch, so I wouldn't know for sure on this. But it, you know, it just seems like a story they should be selling to us. They should be, you know, uh, they should be making us aware of who this guy is, and, and, and we're not hearing a lot, are we? So. Um, yeah, yeah. Them dropping the ball, not a big surprise. 
Okay, um, Mark, uh, also we've got a little matter of uh, news, the Māori All Blacks uh, taking on Ireland in uh, game number two of their mini-series. Uh, what are you expecting now? I mean, uh, Andy Farrell has limited resources anyway. How do you think he's going to play this? Well, he's going to use basically uh, every fit player that, he, that he's got available that he doesn't need for next Saturday. That, that has to take absolute priority. So whatever team he puts on the field, for this match, it means nothing. No one's going to remember what happened in the two games against the Maori All Blacks of Ireland when not only their first test in New Zealand, but when their first test, se- test series. I mean, it would be an extraordinary achievement. So this this match, as much as we like to uh, to soak it up and enjoy the um, competitiveness and the special nature of the Maori All Blacks, it means absolutely nothing to Ireland, especially this week with his, with their series at 1-1. So... Um, I, you know, I just think he sends out a group that will do the least possible damage to his prospects for next Saturday in Wellington, and it's a, you know, it's whatever happens, happens kind of a game for Ireland that you know they have little to gain. But um, so I expect the Maori team to to win and quite probably win win well again because um, yeah, I think with Ireland it's just all about next Saturday. Okay, uh, Hamish Bidwell, thank you very much. Mark Hinton, thank you very much for those opinions on various matters uh, over the weekend and looking forward to uh, Mario Black's uh, tomorrow night at uh, Wellington, at Sky Stadium in Wellington. It's uh, coming up to uh, 10.43. We shall have another panel, of course, uh, tomorrow morning, around about the same time. Well, the lads have found some breaking news, which not even I know about. So, uh, Logan Swinkles, you better update us. <laughs> yeah, uh, this just came through to us uh, via Alex Chapman of News Hub. They understand that Civil Ferns coach Dame Nolan title uh, has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, so that will rule her out of uh, the Cadbury Netball Series, at least for, for the time being. They are to go up against New Zealand A-side in that opening match for them on Wednesday in replacing her would be Deb Fuller, who takes over as coach for the first time. Uh, she's been there as the assistant coach for a while, but that is what has been breaking the news for us, Smithy. Dame Nolene Taitoa tested positive for COVID. Well, I shouldn't be surprised about that, really. Uh, I would imagine it's just uh, everywhere at the moment. It seems numbers going up on a daily basis, and uh, I'm not sure if you can catch it twice. Can you? I guess you can catch it twice now. That's the thing. It just keeps going around in circles, doesn't it? So... I don't think we're ever without it. We've just got to get on with it, so to speak. Um, news also coming through uh, overnight of another terrific finish in a major from Stephen Alka. Finished third, equal. So another big, fat, a big, fat paycheck coming for him because uh, that tournament was worth $3 million US dollars. So he just continues on in such a, a rich vein of form. Incidentally, the tournament won by Texan Jerry Kelly from Steve Stricker and Steve Elker and Ernie Els. Imagine that, sharing uh, third place with the player of the nature and the stature of Ernie Els. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Right, uh, let's get into uh, some of the texts as well uh, before we have a quick visit to Mark Clayton, um, uh, who was uh, working for us, of course, on the good oil and uh, running his uh, finger over racing at the weekend. We'll take a quick review on, on what he thought. Uh, the buckle uh, over the card system aside, a win this Saturday would cover over the endemic cracks that are now a permanent fixture in the All Blacks' performance. No forward physicality or domination and inability or willingness to hold and treasure the ball for p- extended periods of time to build territorial pressure 
turning into and points. No apparent uh, responsive game strategy plan B or C. An invisible captain who is not good enough to demand his starting position. We have learnt nothing since our lame semi-final elimination at Rugby World Cup 2019. Fairly, very, very good summary that, it would appear, of the situation at the moment, looking from the outside anyway. The Panthers are at the top of the table. Anyone coming from that setup has got to be given a chance. Look at Cleary when he turned up uh, as a no-name coach. So, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, he's coming from a very healthy environment as Andrew Webster, and we'll just uh, see if that uh, turns any, into anything special when next season uh, turns around uh, from uh, his point of view as the head coach. Uh, the Ham- uh, this Hamish fella, Hamish uh, Biddle, is a straight-up, no-bullshit, hard case. I like him. That's a uh, regard of, of one of the texts. Uh, and Hamish does uh, create a bit of traffic, I think it's fair to say. Uh, any guarantees we would have won all the games if Fraser was the coach? The players are still the same. Would they have faced the same, uh, have the same physicality? Physicality is a dangerous word because physicality brings risk, brings risk of cards. It's as simple as that. You've got to have physicality in the game. You've got to have confrontation. You've got to have, as they call them, collision areas. Uh, uh, Smithy, great show. I love the station. Just to comment on the red card, Savier issue. I think the confusion has come from the 20-minute red card that is in play in Super Rugby. It was never a 20-minute card, so in order to keep the scrums going, which didn't happen due to not having a prop that can play that side of the scrum, but more to keep the red card in play, you must sacrifice another player for the duration of the ga- of the card in play. Correct, understand that. This case, uh, a red card, so the remainder of the game, because that other rule is not in place. This rule has been in play for a very long time and have played in games where this has happened. We are not playing under the same 20-minute card, so I don't see why it is confusing. I think it's the issue of why it has to be a certain player who is off the park at the time, I think, Craig, and has to continue to stay off the park. Um, that was the other issue, I think, and that's where the confusion reigns as to why Artie Savia was even off the park at any stage. Uh, and Cam, uh, Cam says, look, here, here's the scenario. Australia beat England last week after a red card. It can be done, no doubt about it. Look, uh, uh, all of the Southern Hemisphere teams are the only teams to have red cards. It's a problem that we have, uh, says Brett. We have in the style of rugby that we have and the style of rugby that we have being officiated. It is uh, 10.52 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Joined by Mark Clayton this morning, of course, uh, host of Saturday's Good Oil here on SENZ. I think the racing highlight of the weekend for me, Clayton, came uh, over across the Tasman. Waihaha Falls, four and a three-quarter length, cantered in, absolutely cantered in, and a real New Zealand connection involved with that horse. Look out for that, Waihaha Falls. Yes, Mark and Gary Chinnick and Guy Lowry, that was one of the stunning wins of the weekend. Smithy, you found it. Son of Sacred Falls, he absolutely monstered them, didn't he? He did. Uh, I thought that was, um, you know, I, I just thought that was the performance of the weekend. Meanwhile, at home, you guys were uh, doing your show uh, featuring Hawke's Bay and uh, uh, Tarapa, where they had the Tarapa Cup and the uh, Tiawa Moody Cup, I should say, the feature of uh, that card, really, uh, River Run. 
Yeah, River Run off the uh, minimum weight, uh, Kosciuszano. Bit of money for it too. It's bounced around in the market, was 12, got into eights at one point and nearly slayed us into it and then bounced back out to 12. So some strange goings on there, but River Run always looked like a smart type. He's, he's been thereabouts throughout his career, but yeah, pretty comprehensive win on Saturday. And in the end, uh, just finally too, the John Grills Memorial Classic in Deem attracted a, lo- of a lot of attention. It was well warranted. Uh, certainly was. And yeah, Chad Ormsby, Alan Nicholas combining. Bit of money for this one too. Always pays to listen to Thad Taylor on a Saturday and uh, get those market movers. DB Sapara and the horse we backed in the Funders uh, Club, Bullybrook, uh, gutsy effort too. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's 11.03 here on this side of the Tasman. I guess the ultimate bummer in life is when you take a couple of weeks off with leave and during that uh, couple of weeks off with leave, you get COVID. Uh, that was uh, not what the, the doctor ordered, so to speak. Bad pun, but that uh, is what happened to our great friend, Andrew Voss, um, uh, during the course of uh, his particular couple of weeks away from our station in particular, where so much has happened. Uh, Vossi, thank you very much for being available to talk to us this morning. Welcome back, COVID, eh? Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Yeah, um, it's it was like this. Uh, I have gone through two years not getting COVID and getting regularly tested. Like you know, not there's no way I there hasn't been a week where I haven't been. You know, even to get access at work, I've been tested, uh, and I've had all the family get it and didn't get it. You know, shared the same house, didn't get COVID, and then all of a sudden I came back from Perth. Um, origin number two and uh, tested positive, so two weeks ago tomorrow. Uh, and I've got to say, two weeks on, Smithy, I'm about 70%. I know everyone's got their own um, stories and experiences and some, you know, just kick on and not a drama. I mean, I'm I'm still battling. I mean, I called a, my first game of football yesterday in a few weeks and I, I was puffed. I mean, um, so I wouldn't like um, particularly elderly relatives to pick it up um, and that, you know, we can't become complacent. I know your numbers are going up, our numbers are going up across the ditch here, so uh, I still say, you know, you can't rely on the government to make the rules at the moment. You, you've got to look after yourself and do what's best for yourself, so I'm saying take what precautions you think necessary at the moment to avoid getting it, because if you haven't had it, it ain't much fun. No, it is not, apparently, and I'm uh, touching um, any available wood I've got around the joint at the moment, but uh, it's inevitable, there's no doubt about that. Vossi, there were only, as you say, an abbreviated weekend of uh, NRL action. You did call uh, one yesterday, which was a pretty good uh, affair between the Broncos and the Dragons. Uh, So one of four games over the weekend, the Sharks knocking over the Storm back on Thursday, seems a long time ago. Uh, That was an interesting result. Oh, yeah, it's back-to-back really poor performances from the Storm. And it's their defence, which has been dismantled. I mean, Cronulla led at half-time 20-0. Could have even been more from that first half. It is 28-0 with three minutes to go before Melbourne score their first try. Um, had Matty Johns on the program here this morning, and he, he's right. He said, you know, if they throw in a bad performance from time to time, you say that's most un-Melbourne-like. Well, what is it when they do them back-to-back? I mean, they haven't just been beaten... They've essentially been smashed. I know they got a whole bunch of late tries against Manly at, at Brookvale the other week, but you know they have been knocked out of the park by two finals contenders, and it is the storm with some real soul-searching to do post-Origin to see if they get back on. Brandon Smith now facing suspension. 
Um, Ryan Pappenhausen got knocked about. He looks like he has to go off to the panel beaters again at the moment. Um, you know, there's question marks, and I may say, you know, Jesse Bromwich, what a great player he has been for Melbourne, quite obviously, for New Zealand at test level, but I don't think Jesse's in our top ten front rowers in the game at the moment. I mean, he's just not... He's lost the footwork. I mean, there's lots of... I, I think if Nelson Asifa-Solomona doesn't line up for Melbourne at the moment, their forward pack really lacks some some punch about them. So I think there's quite a gap that's emerged between Penrith and Melbourne. If they were the two teams most likely to win the title, it, it is now more than ever Panthers to lose the premiership because... There is a gap, not just on the points tally, but also on what I'm seeing with my, with my eyes watching the team performances. Penrith do not have a bad performance in them, like Melbourne have shown the last couple of weeks. No, I certainly don't. Not at this point anyway. And um, Very few poor performances coming out of the Broncos and squad depth are being tested, of course, with Origin, etc. But didn't hold them back. Yeah, what, what a great improver they've been, Smithy. And it, it shows that it can be done. Um, you know, they've had wretched years, but they have learnt that R word we've spoken about many weeks, many times this year, resilience. You know, they had a ready-made excuse yesterday to lose, to, to not play at their best, but next man up. You know, they bring in Tessie New at fullback, hadn't played NRL since round six. Outstanding, Tessie New. I mean, boy, did he do, do himself some favours if he's looking for a contract for next year, not knowing what's going to happen with Reese Walsh coming uh, back to the Broncos. Uh, Kobe Hetherington at lock forward with you know state of origin forwards out. Kobe Hetherington steps up, outstanding performance. They bring in Zach Hosting, uh, Hosking at debut on debut at, at 25 years of age. Fantastic, mm. did his job, did more than just his job. There was quality about his work. So Kevin Walters has done a remarkable job with that side and and their tenth win of the season. And a reminder, ten wins last year was enough to get your place in the finals. So you'd say that they're already there. Um, the Broncos, but now they, they should probably set their sights on trying to have a crack at the top four. Um, the Broncos, having you know cemented their place in, uh, in the eight, can they have a red-hot crack at the top four, the Brisbane Broncos? They've done very well. Right, let's uh, look at what's uh, coming up this week, of course, and that is State of Origin 3, and uh, it uh, will be Queensland without uh, Cameron Munster, one of the form players of the entire rugby league season having tested for COVID, positive for COVID. So what will the Maroon side now look like in those key areas? Well, what a dramatic day Friday was. Um, the news came through uh, after lunch on Friday afternoon, two players testing positive to the to the rapid antigen test then confirmed by the PCR. I think at the time, we thought there's going to have to be more here. So Queensland have gone on the community circuit promoting this. That was part of Billy Slater's strategy for Game 3. It would be all about Queensland, rally the troops, take them to some regional outposts as well, uh, you know, get in touch with the fans. Well, that is, that, that's backfired somewhat because of this. It's unfortunate. But they're probably lucky it's only limited to two. But to lose Cameron Munster of all the players, you know, if you wrote down every name and rank them, and, and they wouldn't do this, of course, but who do I not want to lose? then Cameron Munster was the player, you know, the real X Factor, the, the best player on ground in, in game number one, and now they lose him. Um, look, they have to go with experience ahead of blooding Tom Dearden. Ben Hunt will play 5'8". Daly Cherry, Cherry Evans will play halfback. Harry Grant will start hooker and Caelan Ponger at fullback. That's still a very good spine, Smithy, isn't it? Um, but, but Ben Hunt, if Queensland win, I'll make this prediction. He's man of the match. I, I still think it can be close. 
but New South Wales quite obviously favourites without Munster there. But if Queensland are to win, it will be Ben Hunt who has to play a starring role. And I think he's... I know it's gone behind closed doors, but I think he's leading the Dally M's, or he certainly was when we, um, you know, closed shop on the uh, voting being public. So Ben Hunt needs to... Re- now that he's been given an opportunity in a playmaker role in the halves, I think he needs to... Uh, to really step up and be the man alongside of Cherry Evans, Grant and Ponga. Because they will do their job if Hunt comes in and plays a, a really strong hand. Okay, then let's look at um, the Blues. And uh, I know uh, your your cohort, Brandy, is very closely associated uh, within the group. Uh, how are yep. they looking for Wednesday? They, it's not as if they have been unscathed themselves. They uh, have uh, got uh, Saifiti coming in for Payne Haas. Well, yeah, well, it, well, via Jordan McLean, who was brought into the side and then suffers the hamstring injury at training, sadly, for, for Jordan, who was set to play his first game for New South Wales. So, uh, Saifiti gets the uh, run for New South Wales. And, and, and look, it was a bit odd the other day. I read a quote uh, on Friday. Um, it may have been in Saturday's press here. He, he said, look, I admit I haven't been playing well this year. I mean, it is, it is quite a, a, a stunning selection. Regan Campbell-Gillard overlooked having played game one and been one of Parramatta's best players week in, week out, but he just doesn't fit into Freddie's plan. So, and even when McLean dropped out, Dale Finucane comes into the squad. So poor old Regan Campbell-Gillard has been absolutely benched uh, by the New South Wales selectors. Look, you've still got to believe that what worked for them in Game 2 will work for them in Game 3, albeit I don't think you're going to have the 30 points in the last 31 minutes, as it was in Perth. I think a little closer, mm-hmm. but... You'd think they'll pick up where they left off. You'd have to think that Nathan Cleary's confidence is is sky high now after that performance over in Perth, and the others around him. Burton's got his you know Origin debut out of the way, and um, you know the fact that you can pick a side and leave Latrell Mitchell out that you think you got enough in your tank. Um, albeit you know Mitchell said that he'd prefer to concentrate on South Sydney, but you can overlook him. Uh, then I think New South Wales in great shape. Deserving favourites. It is at Suncorp. So, you know, there's a bit of a fear factor there. Uh, Queensland's home turf. But I, I think this is a year New South Wales can come back from 1-0 down in the series. Well, we haven't heard from you on this station for uh, a couple of weeks, uh, which we don't like, Vossi. But I'll tell you what, in the time that you've been away, you could do a decent old documentary on what's happened at the Warriors, couldn't cool. you? Oh, yeah, well, yes, <laughs> there's a bit going on. I, I am surprised um, Andrew Webster, the little dealings I've had with him, he, he's impressive, but uh, if he's the man for the job at the Warriors, I must admit, probably a little uh, a little surprised uh, to, to go with the rookie, having done somewhat of an apprenticeship um, as an assistant coach, and he's had a little caretaker role, just a, a smattering along the way, but... Uh, still a little surprised by that. The Reese Walsh decision, how that's all unfolded. Chance Nickel Clock said, oh, I, Cookstar, I thought you were going to get me on the fact that but the All Blacks lost a test. You almost lost to Ireland in the cricket, Smithy. What's going on, mate? Yeah. No, no, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to avoid that. I'm trying to avoid it. I'm going to throw Kyrgios yeah. at you shortly, so just get ready for that. Sure, but, sure. Uh, no, I, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, we won the doubles yeah, I mean, too. Australia Walsh. won the doubles at Wimbledon too. I didn't see any yeah. Kiwis yeah. up there on the... Anyway. No, well, fair enough. Okay. Uh, right. Can we go to Reese Walsh? Um, yes. The, the guy who was going to make his home in New Zealand, but now we'll be making it in Brisbane all of a sudden. What did you make of the Reese Walsh oh, well, scenario from looking on from afar? 
Well, I think from now on, one page of a contract that the Warriors present to a player has to have a page out of the Atlas and actually show where New Zealand is. I just think for clarification purposes and probably put a little Google map how, how long the flight actually is, that it's not that far away. And I, I, I'm not saying that, I'm saying that absolutely legitimately. I mean, I, I find it an extraordinary situation that we've had, what, you and Aitken at the start of the year, um, the coach had his reasons, Nathan Brown, Matt Lodge, Reese Walsh. I mean, come on. I mean, this is the National Rugby League. There are, as of next year, there are 17 clubs. Um, you, you go, you know, you do make, and I'm not even going to call it sacrifice. No, you move with your job. I mean, there are, there are lots of professions out there where you have to relocate to do your damn job. And, and to, th- to suddenly have a change of heart and all that, sorry, I can't be a bleeding heart in that situation. I, I, it'll have to be exceptional circumstances, I believe, for players to, to, to not know what they're getting into if you sign with the Warriors. And as I said, put a page of the Atlas in, um, show them the Air New Zealand flight schedule a week, show, show people how many flights there are, show what it is, give them a little real estate catalogue where you can live. There's some great places. Um, <laughs> the, I, I feel very sorry for the Warriors for what has transpired across these 12 months on the, on the back of two very tough years. Right. Um, was there any candidate, any standout candidate who might have been available to take this Warriors job on? I mean, they've signed uh, Andrew Webster for three years, but in, in terms of uh, the life of a Warriors head coach, three years is like forever, man. And past that. <laughs> yeah, now, look, I, I, I just thought they might have gone down the experience line. And, and it's a pretty rare instance that out there at the moment, and I'm not saying that uh, one of these was even spoken to, but in Michael Maguire, Shane Flanagan, Paul Green, they've all won premierships. Like, that's, that's an extraordinary situation that you would have three former head coaches on the open market who have all won competitions. Now, this is a club that can't even play a final. They've played one final in, what, 10 years. Um, there, are pre- there are coaches with premiership winning experience available that I thought perhaps, I thought that the experience line was the way the Warriors had to go. Someone who has can basically go in there with a formula that has worked in the past. Now, I suppose those critics of Michael Maguire say, well, look what happened at the Tigers. But um, Shane Flanagan had his reasons for being benched, but you know, I, I certainly would have no hesitation in signing Shane Flanagan. And Paul Green is there in the mix. Um, he's, he had his glory day with the Cowboys when they won the premiership, and he did reach another grand final. So he's a two-time grand finalist uh, as a head coach. He's been a, a grand finalist as an assistant coach. It's, it's pretty good credentials to look past if they didn't even consider these people. I, did I see something where Tim Sheens was linked with West, or was that just yeah, uh, no, putting a photo cool. against a rumour? He's 70, 71 years of age, uh, Tim yeah. Sheens. What well, about we're that? A, we had a bit of a joke this morning, and it's, it's not disrespect. We're just having a bit of fun. But if Tim Sheens signs on with the Tigers, and the Tigers play the Dolphins next year, I mean, Wayne Bennett and Tim Sheens will both get into the ground on concession cards um, and, and get the half-price dinner at the Leagues Club. Uh, they'll be on the pensioner rates. They're both in their seventies. You know, we 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 look like it's. I'm telling you, Smithy. It's not just where there's smoke, there's fire. There's an absolute raging inferno. Sheens to get the Tigers' coaching job. Um, people like Matty Johns, Benji Marshall, Ricky Stewart, all saying no. He's what the Tigers need. So we could have a situation next year where two of the coaches are the other side of seventy.
Good luck to them, Wayne Bennett and Tim Sheens. And, and then we will still have in the mix Craig Bellamy, Des Hasler. Um, Trent Robinson is getting up there in the number of games he's coached. So some very experienced coaches there. That's why I find it hard to think that some other experienced coaches will remain on the sideline. Uh, again, you know, Flanagan, Green, Maguire, hard to think three premiership winning coaches of the last uh, decade uh, could all be without a job next year. The, a lot of people, of course, po- pointing the, the finger here very, very uh, rigidly at uh, Mark Robinson, the owner, uh, and, of course, uh, Cameron George, the CEO. Now, look, look, you've been around the league for a long time. There have been. I mean, there have been controversial owners, but they are, at the end of the day, the bloody owners. They own it. It's theirs. It's their asset. So what do you make of that set up there? And uh, Should we be demanding more or less or whatever out of, out of that, that bracket? It's interesting. It, when I look at the um, the ownership models to compare it with, you know, Russell Crowe is seen as somewhat um, can be eccentric. You know, I've had a bit to do with Russell Crowe at the time. I mean, he's, and you will know, Smithy, uh, he's a genuine rugby league man. I mean, it is not fake. It is not put on. He has lived and breathed rugby league all his life. He absolutely loves it. But he doesn't get involved in, like, he helps with negotiations. You know, it's pretty impressive. If you're a young player... And Russell Crowe invites you over to lunch and he can, you know, have a meet and greet. And that, that could be very influential in signing players. But I don't believe Russell has any say or input into um, into the re-signing of players, or whether we keep a player at a club. Um, so I think he has stood his distance. I mean, he had a famous run-in with Luke Keary at a camp one time or whatever. Um, but, I, you know, I think Russell Crowe as an owner or in that ownership role has stood back. I think that's probably the best way to go. But I'm not about to criticise those. If they are the ones stumping up cash or generating revenue, then I'm not against them having a say. But if I'm a coach, I'm just trying to think, you know, I'd like to, if I'm employed to coach a team or I'm re- I'm employed to recruit players, I'd like to think I have that job without outside forces buying into it. I think that would be the best form of ownership, that they say, right, I'm an owner, I'll do this, I'll look at the finances, whatever. But I'm getting you to do your job. I'm getting you to do your job. I think there's better clarity in uh, in that in that going forward. If that's the case with the Warriors. Okay, it's time to inflict a bit of pain on you now. Um, and it was always going to be the case that when you kicked Novak Djokovic out of Australia, you weren't <laughs> going to forget in a hurry. And uh, there you were. You put him. You put Nick Kyrgios up against him. He got a free pass through uh, when Nadal pulled out. But what did you make of that performance and the performance of Kyrgios on and off the court for the last two weeks? Yeah, well, okay, well, you stated right at the top of the interview, see, I've had a couple of weeks off. Um, honestly, when I went off, if I was to survey my breakfast show audience, Nick Kyrgios, good bloke or flog, the majority would come back Nick the flog. In the space of two weeks, he became our Nick. I mean, suddenly, there's that many on his bandwagon um, and, and watching him, but, you know, he is, he's an interesting individual. There's no doubt about that. He um, certainly has an appeal to a younger audience. They don't care about the antics. I mean, Smithy, he copped $14,000 in fines across the last couple of weeks, but that's spare change. What does it matter? Spitting, abusing, <laughs> confrontational, all of that. The city pass spat. Uh, I mean, uh, interesting. Interesting. I don't think, to be honest, I don't think we're ever going to see the absolute best of Nick Kyrgios because... I don't think he absolutely loves the game. You know, he's, he's got this talent he was born with, but 
he's got all these other parts to the personality that I don't think he can possibly, you know, we were asking the question, as he turned the corner, is he going to play more Grand Slams? Good chance he won't. There's as much chance he will never play another Grand Slam final as there is he will, but who knows where he's going to be in 12 months, how dedicated he'll be, how inspired he'll be, how hungry he'll be, um, which probably frustrates the hell out of some people who see a, a great talent not working as hard as what he possibly could. I'm sure he trains hard, but does he have the desire, the absolute desire to be... Nah, he's happy to have five months off a year and, and that's his lot. Good luck to him. He's got a heap of money and he can live that lifestyle. Yeah, he's got a heap more money now, so that's uh, terrific. Hey, uh, Vossi, the most important thing is you get from 70% back to 100%, mate. Uh, look forward to your calls this weekend and a, a chat next Monday. Uh, thank you yeah, so was, much for your time. No, no problem. Um, and we never got round to talking rugby union Sinbin, so that, I'll leave that with you. Um, Ireland, yep. it's, I, I'm checking to see if I've got any Irish blood in me, but I'm, I don't think so, but I, I can't. And wouldn't that have been a double if that had won the cricket as well? Amazing, amazing week. Andrew, Andrew Ovos. Andrew Ovos, <laughs> thank you very much for your time this morning. <laughs> and we'll catch, we'll, we'll catch you next Monday morning. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, signing off. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> it is 11.23 here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A few texts uh, to read out before we get uh, into uh, Stump Smithy very shortly. Um, One has come in. JJ said, I don't understand your panel's commentary on the Warriors. Sounds more bandwagon jumping than any knowledge. The Warriors have some great signings next year. Far from uh, no one wants to come here. So it's not just uh, those exceptional ones. There are players that genuinely want to be here, says JJ. The new coach is well regarded and backed by Ivan Cleary to be a head coach. He's not speaking to media because he's still working for the Panthers until he starts here in November. Update yourself. Okay, JJ, uh, we'll take that on board. Thank you very much. Um, Brett has come in and says, Smithy, just a thought on the Test Cricket Series. Fleming once said, I always had a team that I wanted. So maybe that's something to look at. Yep, interesting point that. Um, uh, Whopper from New Plymouth has just uh, texted in Fozzie's record, he says, Fozzie's test record. Uh, I'm not sure that too many people need reminding of it, uh, Whopper, but here you go. 16 all against Australia. Lost to Aussies 24-22. Lost to Argentina 25-15. Lost to South Africa 31-29. Lost to Ireland 29-20. Lost to France 40-25. Lost to Ireland 23-12. I think the, the, the... Probably the worrying thing there is uh, the fact that they've lost to Ireland um, four times now and, uh, you know, they've lost three of the last four Test matches, uh, included in the wins that uh, Ian Foster has had in those uh, particular results as well, of course, as wins over the USA and Italy, who we'd normally expect to beat uh, 150 times out of 150. So that um, you can't really say that that uh, strengthens it on the other side. Yeah, they're concerning run. But it gets back to the point that perhaps we're just not as good as we um, thought we were. Perhaps we're not just as good as we should be expecting. Maybe, um, you know, uh, to take the Hamish Bidwell approach, uh, we should just get used to the fact that we're not very good at times. Uh, We're very beatable by uh, a lot more sides than used to be. And we just have to get that into our system. And um, as Hamish says, he believes that's good for rugby um, and and globally. And I, I would imagine a lot of people think that as well I just you know uh, I, I just want to see for mine anyway I'll go back to the point I want to see 
uh, Joe Smith in the mix. I want to see Ian Foster work with uh, Joe Smith and just see the influence that uh, Joe Smith can have. Clearly there was a, a little bit. He wouldn't have changed anything uh, when he was at Eden Park while Ian Foster was uh, in his, uh, uh, was uh, <coughs> doing his stand-down period for COVID. I, I'm not sure how much Joe Smith changed. Uh, he's a different voice. Um, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, and he would have known Ireland very well, um, and he picked most of them and coached most of them. So uh, the, I, I would like to see um, the best uh, available coaches we've got working together in this particular project, and we won't have that until uh, he is very much hands-on to more to the extent than he has been so far in Joe Smith. So that would be mine. We've got a number of more texts to read out as well, uh, but we've also got the pressing matter of... A stump smithy uh, to win, and it's back to 50 bucks this morning from the TAB. So here's Araha with the 11.31 edition of the news. We'll be back shortly. It is uh, 11.33 and the boys are just experienced a couple of difficulties with the phones uh, at the moment but as soon as uh, we get uh, the thumbs up to uh, have a crack we'll solicit those calls. The, li- the lines uh, did light up, I saw it, but uh, we found it very hard to get the, the people through. So uh, let's, um, let's just uh, read uh, perhaps a, a couple more texts out as well whilst we're, we're waiting for that to, to happen. Uh, PJ has come in and said, uh, Smithy, I tipped out the first team's <coughs> test team to you guys. I have a man in the know close to the All Blacks. Says Foster and Co were not happy the team changed the game plan for the first test led by Sam Whitelock and senior backs, even though it was very successful. So the coaching staff stamped their authority on the second test preparation, and you could see the difference. One gone was the Fords taking the first pass hit up at three and four off the ruck, which penetrated the Irish defence repeatedly. Back was the first second hitting up with, into a green wall. With the backs, it was even more noticeable, very flat line passing across the face of the Irish defenders and being defended into the sidelines. Gone was the deep-set back line passing behind the dummy runner who's bro- broke Ireland open mo- multiple times so successfully. Uh, Foster's game plan and Sam Kane not leading a change on the field are responsible for that tra- record home beating. So was Sam Whitelock really concussed or not? It's a conspiracy theory there from PJ, but uh, some fairly honest um, analysis as well. Uh, the current ABs have uh, too many instinctive players and not enough intelligent players. From Ra. Hi, Smithy. The All Blacks, in my opinion, is dumping the captain. He's not playing uh, well. And really, where is he? Uh, <coughs> where was he in the first two games, especially the second game? Adi Xavier should be now the captain. He's the best player and should be captain. And put him on op- on the open side. Get a number that's powerful like Ad- number eight that's powerful like Adi. Kane is now not the best. Number seven should be a certain pick. Uh, your opinion, please. You've been hearing it throughout the morning. Uh, Gary from Wanganui. Um, yeah, I, look, here's, here's the thing. I, I don't see Sam Kane going at this point. I really don't. Um, and certainly Ian Foster's not going anywhere either. So we just have to um, be patient, I guess, live with it, uh, enjoy the competition. Uh, none of us like losing, there's no doubt about it. None of us like losing, and uh, it's quite clear that when the All Blacks lose, it uh, does affect a lot of us uh, a little bit more deeply than it does uh, in other particular codes around the world. So it's a tough one to swallow, but uh, swallow it we have to. Ken has come and said, Smithy, the under-20s beat Aussie 69-12. I hope Aussie and crew were watching. There are a lot of talented players coming through. Yep, they'll be, um, not sure who'll be the coach, though, in, 
it's their term. Maybe Razor should be looking at that um, if that's the case. And uh, what ha- what happens with the coaching thing is uh, what we expect to happen. Uh, Smithy of Smithy of Joe Smith is the great redeemer. If he is the difference maker, does that not show the current coaching setup is inadequate and in need of a change? We will be asking a lot of Joe when he won't be the head coach or the assistant. It's from JJ. Okay, uh, we'll uh, ask for these calls again. 0800-1508-11. Trying to uh, stump Smithy. We'll see if we can get you through this time around. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, new week, time for some more stumpings here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith and producer Logan in the quiz master chair. Smithy, thank, uh, thank you and for everyone listening for your patience. We're just having a couple of difficulties there, but we do have three people lined up to take you on. Uh, up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet. There's plenty going on that you could put your money on, so I guess we'll see. But uh, joining us first, Smithy, at the crease, we have John, oh, not John, sorry, Simon from Auckland. Come in, Simon. Hey, going, boys? Hey, Simon, good morning to you. What'd you make of the rugby, mate? Disappointing, eh? Yeah, it was a bit, eh? I thought the Irish looked pretty good, eh, even before the, before the send-off. But, yeah, definitely changed the game, all right? Yep, changed the game, all right. Well, speaking of changing the game, uh, we're up for uh, 50 bucks uh, this morning, you and I, and that will be out of three topics uh, which you've got to offer now, Logan. What are they this morning? Your choices today, Simon, are tennis, golf, and rugby. Take your pick. I'll go tennis. Oh, okay. Bit of tennis. Here we go. Always love a little spot of tennis. Okay, first question for you, Simon. Leighton Hewitt was the last Australian to win the gentleman's singles title at Wimbledon. What year did that happen? Um, um, I think it's early 2000s. Um... I'll go 02, 2002. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, 2002, last time an Aussie won it. Uh, unfortunately, Nick Kyrgios couldn't add to that history-making uh, moment. But Smithy, how are you on your Wimbledon knowledge? Yeah, not too bad. I, I probably wouldn't have gone as early as 2002 there. I was thinking more like 2005, 2006. But uh, I bow to uh, Simon's superior knowledge on that one. <laughs> All right, well, second question for you, Simon and Smithy. Which men's player has won the most most Wimbledon titles in the Open era? Uh, and this is for men's singles. Um, ooh. I'd have to go Roger Federer. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the oh. slot, and away it goes. Would you have had the Fed there, Smithy? Well, I'd have, I'd have considered him. I'd also have thrown in there Bjorn Borg. I would have also thrown in Pete Sampras and Novak, Novak Djokovic as well. So, you know, honestly, um, I might not have come up with the Fed, but certainly in my thinking, yep. 
Well, uh, to clarify that with his most latest victory there against Nick Kyrgios, Novak Djokovic now has seven. So it would have been a good guess. And the great Pete Sampras also has seven. So, I mean, there's still the potential that Novak could at least equal Roger Federer. So I guess we'll, we'll see. Time will only tell. But Simon, you're two from two, mate. One more to go and you could win that $50 TAB bonus bet into your account. Martina Navratilova has won the most consecutive Wimbledon singles titles in the open era of ladies tennis. How many did she win during that impressive run? What was that, the Wimbledon titles? Yeah, how many consecutive mm. singles titles in the open era for ladies tennis? Um, I'll go with nine. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, me and Richie just had to leave you hanging for a second there. Not nine, Smithy. Potential stumping on the line here. No, clearly not nine. Clearly not nine. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not that far less than that. Uh, look, who was she playing around about that time? Uh, Chrissy Everett was, was part of that, that particular era as well. Uh, but she did dominate for a long, long period. I'll go, I'll go seven. I, I reckon she won seven. There you go. One of the worst things I have ever seen no. done on a cricket field. Yeah, so close, Smithy. The, the answer is six, 1982 to 1987. That was uh, Martina's run there at Wimbledon. Queen of Wimbledon at the time. So that does mean, Simon, you were two out of three. You get the $50 TV bonus bet. Two out of three ain't bad, eh? Smithy nearly had me there. <laughs> yeah. Two out of three is good enough, yeah. Simon, on this occasion, mate. Thank, thank you so much for uh, taking part uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, stay on the line. Brian will get your details so we can make sure we can get that money to you as soon as, uh, as technically possible, mate. Have a great week. Thank you. Cheers, Smithy. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers, Simon from Auckland. The victor this morning. 50 bucks to the better. Uh, we'll number of other texts to, uh, to come in. Smithy, too many Aucklanders in the All Blacks. Wonder if that's come from Christchurch. Maybe not. Maybe just around the country. Uh, cheers uh, for that, Mark. Simon said red cards for un- intentional head knocks is ruining the game. Penalty, yes. Yellow at the most. Totally agree with that. It's, where's the intent side of it? Is there no such thing as intent taken in? If the referee says, I believe that's an accident, um, and he's out there. Well, why does he just not rule it's an accident? Just rule it's an accident, an unfortunate accident where two big blokes come into a collision area, a collision area and bump noggins. Is that just not possible? Um, <clears throat> Smithy, we don't have to accept anything. We don't have to be patient. We should expect more as All Black supporters. You clearly do. You absolutely clearly do. And you're within your rights as well um, to have very strong opinions about the All Blacks. Without that, um, shows like this wouldn't exist. Your feedback is absolutely paramount to us. So, look, don't have a problem with all. Uh, that's just my attitude on it. I'm a little bit wizened, a little bit old, and uh, I just kind of have to accept that it is what it is. Um, and they've got a week to turn it round, a real week of hard work in Wellington, to turn it round to find the physicality uh, within the rules, to find the discipline, uh, stay, stay their powerful game within the rules, and uh, after that, uh, see if they can come out on top. But Ireland, uh, we know they're a tough nut to crack, a very tough nut to crack. Uh, and they will be again this week because uh, a series win over New Zealand, really, in New Zealand, 
Would you have ever thought that uh, you'd be talking about that possibility? Steve has come in and said, Smithy, Ireland were paying more than five bucks head-to-head on Saturday. Uh, did the All Blacks <laughs> did the All Blacks better get themselves? Just a thought. Mm. <clears throat> Probably not. Probably not. But uh, I'll tell you what. There's uh, in line this weekend in terms of the betting. Uh, the All Blacks are at this early stage of the week a dollar twenty-seven. So head to head a dollar twenty-seven. The Irish are three dollars eighty. A point start, which I believe was a gift from the TAB last weekend, which was fourteen and a half point start. So right. Then they go and score a converted try, 21 nil, um, they were effectively up 21 nil at that point. Uh, so that was asking quite a lot to come back from that, wasn't it? Um, so uh, this week they've reduced that to an 8.5 point start. You can get Ireland plus 8.5 points, so they basically start 8.5 to nil uh, when they run out of the tunnel there at Sky Stadium, and they are $1.87 for that. Um, did uh, Mark from Lower Hutt, did Ian Foster and Gary Stead go to the same coaching clinic? No thought, weird selections, timid coaching at the best. In- interesting, I don't think so. Uh, John has come in, they might have. Uh, John uh, Haysmithy offer had a terrible performance, missed an easy tackle that led to the first try, a yellow card, three scrum penalties, two crucial knock-ons. It was a terrible look on Plumtree that despite how bad he was played, he was left on. Couldn't work that out. Mm, interesting, uh, the way th- people were coming and going in the front row, as such, I'm not sure they had a hell of a lot of options. To be fair, um, they just lost. Uh, they lost all <coughs> bearing in terms of of what was happening there in that department. So uh, 11:51 here on SENZ. Been a great morning. Thank you very much for your participation. We'll talk to Staffy very shortly. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.